really isn't being addressed at the national level by, by our, our, the leaders who are, are helping guide society through this pandemic. Um, are, is the, is the, um, the value and the magnitude of those resilience factors in, in turning and shifting this uh, pandemic in a, in a more positive direction. Um, and we get to that, we get, we get our resilience through how we take care of ourselves. It has to do with nutri nutritious food and you know, getting good sleep and just taking care of ourselves in all the multitude of ways that we know how to do that makes us stronger and have more energy and, and, um, and the capacity to be adaptable in the face of challenge. Hi everyone, welcome to the Eat Real to Heal podcast where I am your host, Nicolette Richet, and I created this podcast so we can bring healing hero stories of people that have used food as medicine to reverse their chronic degenerative diseases to light. We wanted the world to know about those stories. And of course, being a science nerd buff that I am, I also like having medical doctors, healthcare practitioners, scientists, and others on our show to talk about different healing modalities and the science that exists behind those. And so it is with great pleasure that today I get to welcome Dr. Karen Shanks from Iowa in the United States. She is an internal medicine and functional medicine doctor who's been practicing for over 25 years. And she was able to overcome her chronic illness that really left um, her fellow doctors feeling like they had that she was just broken, a broken human being. Instead of looking at her as an individual that had a chronic condition, chronic conditions that really could be treated and fixed with the right uh, protocols, with the right methods and treatments. And she in turn had to find that for herself, which led her down this incredible path to where she is now, where she helps her patients overcome chronic degenerative diseases when other doctors are not able to do so. They will often refer their tough cases to Karen. So it is really a true honor to have her on the show because in this interview that we do together that's coming up, I really just fall in love with this woman. She has now become one of my, you know, top 10 favorite people. Other people in that um, category are Dr. Gemma Newman from the UK. She's the plant-based medicine doctor in the UK. Listen to the podcast that we did together and you'll know why she's in my top 10 um, favorite humans. Uh, there's times when I get to meet these interviewees that I, you know, get to have on the show and it really is just an immediate connection. It's where I feel like I've known them my whole life. I feel like we have been living similar paths, walking a similar line of self-discovery, of knowledge discovery, of science, um, you know, attunement and attainment. And, and Karen is one of those people. Other humans on the planet that I feel really strongly about are Dr. Ranjan Chatterjee from the UK as well. Listen to his podcast on the Rich Roll Show. Uh, and another doctor that I just have a really, I feel like a very heartfelt connection with, even though I don't know them, is Dr. Kim Williams. He's a cardiologist 
um, out of the States who is just, you know, so incredibly, his story is so profound as is to how he arrived at understanding that food is medicine as well. And again, humans that have walked a similar journey, we tend to be able to relate with because our stories are similar and we go, ah, I can, you know, resonate with what you had to go through. And even though, you know, these are medical doctors that went on this journey, I mean, their journeys are still the same. It's a shifting of worldviews. It's the questioning the systems that are in place that we've been taught, but then we eventually, for some reason, we come across a little hurdle or a little um, bump in the road that actually causes us to pause, to stop, to reflect and say, hey, everything that I've come to know to date is not resonating with me. Why is that? And then there's a slight pivot. It's like, I can't continue to go down this road, you know, the road that I was raised on, the road that, you know, I was indoctrinated um, into, onto. And instead, there's a pivot that takes place. And all of a sudden, you find yourself walking another path where you're questioning everything that you've come to know to date. And it leaves you feeling um, a little bit lost, a little bit out of control. It leaves you, it can leave you feeling scared, shaken up. It makes you feel almost alien um, where you feel you've just stepped onto the planet and everybody's looking at you like, what the hell's wrong with you? Like everybody knows that when you have a migraine, you take Tylenol. Everybody knows that when you have diabetes, you take insulin. Everybody knows that you have to eat meat because meat has protein. And you're the only one standing there saying, well, actually, no, I, I actually read that vegetables also have amino acids that get converted into protein in the body, or you're left, you know, thinking like, well, do I actually, is it a good idea to take Tylenol or Advil or, you know, some other kind of drug to suppress a fever? I actually have read that when you don't suppress fevers, that you can actually let them run the course and you can heal from the virus or, you know, whatever it else is causing the fever um, faster and you allow your body to do the work. And when you say things like that out loud, other people can look at you and say, are you on crack? Like, are you crazy? And of course you're left really feeling vulnerable. You're left feeling exposed. You're left feeling like you're crazy sometimes. And I know that, um, the reason why all of these people and now Dr. Karen Shanks is on this, you know, it feels like they're they're one of you know my tribe or I'm one of their tribe or you know there's a connection there is because I know that they've walked that path as well where they've questioned the system and they've been in a place where they've had to stand alone and they've had to walk the path alone until they eventually found others and found others who felt like them. So everything we do in life, humans, you know, we love being part of a tribe. We love being part of a community, but sometimes the path to get to that community is very lonely. So for myself, I don't know, that's why I have feel just from one interview, spending 90 minutes with another human being, why I feel so close to this person, whether it's intellectually, it's actually emotionally as well. I mean, I have such deep love for the work that she's doing, even though I just discovered uh, Dr. Karen Shanks recently, but have such profound work for the um, 
love for the work that she's doing with her patients is because, you know, people like Dr. Gemma Newman, Dr. Karen Shanks, Dr. Kim Williams, you know, Neil Bernard, Joel Furman, um, you know, Dr. Clapper, Dr. Rip, uh, or, um, Caldwell Ezelstein and Rip Ezelstein, all of these humans on the planet are, they're providing hope. They're providing space for opportunity to emerge. And that opportunity is health for people who didn't previously have any health, where they've been debilitated by their illnesses and their disease. They provide space and hope for in the world of academia so that we can shift and pivot and say, hey, are those practices of bloodletting that were appropriate you know, a century ago, not even a century ago, well, those are no longer valid now. So could potentially this practice of factory farming and animal husbandry and conventional farming practices with pesticides, could those be the equivalent of bloodletting and teeth pulling? And maybe even, you know, are they equivalent of burning witches at the stake, you know, um, you know, or, or burning people who stood up against government and parliament and, uh, and different things that they believed in. So are we currently in that system right now where we are rising up against old beliefs that are no longer working for us and we're switching over to new belief systems that can actually bring sustainability to the planet? that can bring healing to the animals, that can stop species from going extinct, like literally every 20 minutes right now. Um, you know, this is really what uh, the hope that Karen, Dr. Karen Shanks and all of these other, you know, favorite people of mine have brought, it's that there is an opportunity right now today that we can turn things around and we can actually make our health better. We can make the health of our families better. We can make the health of our communities and our planet just better overall. And so without saying much more, I want to welcome Dr. Karen Shanks. Like I said, she's an internal medicine and functional medicine MD who's been practicing for 25 years. Um, she's board certified. She has her practice now, which you're going to learn, which is fundamentally different than the current state of our medical system where you, that you probably know where you go in for a doctor's appointment, spend like maybe, you know, half an hour to an hour waiting for a seven and a half minute appointment with your doctor to only have them say, well, you know, take these medications and come back in two weeks if it doesn't work and if you're not feeling better or we don't know what to do, you know, with this condition that you have, this chronic condition that you have. Um, and you just kind of get shuffled around the system, but you don't actually get treated and you don't actually get a reversal of your chronic disease. And so her system, her practice is very different from that. So I hope you enjoy this interview. I know I enjoyed it immensely. I feel like I've gained a friend and everybody, um, especially right now in a time of social distancing and isolation, um, it always feels good to meet somebody new, somebody that you connect with, that you resonate with, and somebody that at the end of the day, you can call a friend. And um, immediately after this, I, this interview, I called my brother. I saw that he had called while I was doing the podcast and I called him. And of course he told me, you know, he's had this chronic 
lung issue happening for a long time and he's young. He should not have this happening, but he does. And again, you know, he hasn't been able to get reprieve. No doctors have been able to help him. They've told him everything that he, one time they told him he might have cancer, lung cancer. Another time they told him that he, um, you know, he actually did have pleural effusion um, around the lungs. Um, he was in the hospital for it, but still, you know, they just gave him medications and it kind of went away, but it's been lingering. It's been chronic and nobody's been able to solve the situation. And immediately I told him, I'm like, you need to call up Dr. Karen Shanks and have that four hour, three to four hour appointment with her, um, where I'm sure she spent hours on his files before even meeting with him. And then she's probably going to spend hours thinking about him afterwards to really come up with a treatment plan and a lifestyle change that is going to actually get him the results in reversing um, this chronic lung condition that's happening. And so I hope that, you know, everything that you take away from this podcast is um, something that you're going to actually apply. And also remember to share the podcast with others who might need to understand that there's another way of doing medicine in this current day and age. There's another way of being taken care of by our healthcare system right now. And Karen really describes so eloquently what that system can look like and what it does look like um, because she's actually living it. She's actually doing it. If you're a medical doctor or a healthcare practitioner or a coach or you know anybody who's involved in the wellness and health world, you can learn a lot from this podcast as well. So please consider sharing it with your professors, with your mentors, with your coaches, with your medical doctors, and share this podcast with them so that they can learn that there is another way of, of really doing healthcare in 2020 and beyond. So thanks everyone for being here with us. Um, without further ado, let's jump into the show. See you at the end. Hi everyone. Welcome to the Eat Real to Heal show. I am your host, Nicolette Richet. And on today's episode, we have Dr. Karen Shanks. And I'm so excited to have Karen on the show for so many reasons we're about to dive into. But let me first welcome Karen. Thank you. Such an honor. It's a pleasure to have you here. Um, So Karen, I want to, before we dive into, obviously we're going to touch on COVID just before we jumped in and started recording, we talked about the concept of building resiliency. So I want to dive into that as well. But Mm -hmm. I was going through your site and as I was getting to know you and I was reading your book, which we're going to talk about your book as well, and even your new ebook that's out um, that everybody can access on your website. I want to go back to the point um, where you were ill, because I want people to understand that even though you are an internal medicine and functional medicine doctor, that you went to med school, that you did all of this, you had your own healing journey and experience that you've lived through, and you know what it means to change your story and to heal, which is the name Mm -hmm. of your book, Heal. Mm -hmm. So tell us about that. And in, in conventional terms, I wasn't ill. I was exhausted. I was burned out. I had migraine headaches. I had joint pain. I was sort of the walking wounded. 
um, but I wasn't considered to be ill. In fact, um, in, my, in my pursuit of my own healing initially, there, you know, they didn't find anything wrong. But I did, you know, I went through this whole um, experience of crashing and burning in my early 30s and had to find my own answers. And so I, I turned to, and, and this was going on in parallel with my working with chronic complex patients for whom I had nothing to offer from my conventional training. Uh, um, save my empathy, you know, and my willingness to learn as they brought me articles and books and, and what have you and set me, helped set me on a, a, a path of learning more about what it takes for human beings to heal, which is goes well beyond a diagnosis and, you know, finding the right drug or treatment protocol. Um, and so through that exploration I learned about nutrition and I learned about uh, you know how to use nutrition to you know heal and balance your biochemistry um, and create energy and resolve inflammation um, and um, and I learned about you know uh, as you uh, mentioned in your introduction you know about uh, the healing story and the stories that we tell ourselves that can get in the way of healing i had to i had to i had to reckon with a whole lot of stories um, on my own healing journey both as a physician healer and um and also as a person who wanted to feel well so um yes so that was an important part of like the early stages of of um setting myself up for where I am today and what I do today for myself and in my, my medical practice. So, you know, within that, there is so much that, I mean, we can turn, we can have five podcasts, I believe, yeah. just on what you just mentioned now. <laughs> but the one part I want to jump into that you highlighted is that you said your patients were bringing you literature and books and articles and saying, read this. And I've, you know, with through my clients and the stories that they've told me about the physicians they work with, and a lot of the physicians that I've had the, you know, pleasure of getting to know over the years, not all of them are, and actually I would say most of them are not receptive to their patients giving them articles. You know, it's the kind of like the, and I've Correct. been told this when my daughter was really sick in the hospital and I said, okay, well, have you run these tests? What about this? Could it be this? And the doctor's like, you Google too much. And I, that's the response that my clients right. also get from their doctors. So why were yes. you different in that? Like why, tell me more about yourself and what made you open to wanting to learn that? Like, is that just part of your nature? That's or? like a million dollar question, isn't it? And you know, I, uh, I think it's human nature to want to be certain, you know, um, and as especially, and the more complexity we're dealt with and the more, especially, um, when it, our survival is called into question, I think we really, we want to, we want to fixate on, on being certain and absolute and certainly in, um, the uh, institution of medicine, there's this thread that one runs through about having to be certain and having to reduce things down to their simplest form. So we want simple and certain, but that's just not how things are, right? Mm -hmm. So I, and, and the hidden curriculum um, in, the, in medical training 
is that you've got to learn the dogma and then you've got to you've got to pretend like you're all knowing right in the face of these right i mean and that and that's i think that's part of this idea of being um an, a medical expert is that you know the facts and there's not there's nothing else so you know that's a pretty strong that's a pretty strong criticism i guess uh, about um about medical education but it, it, it is in fact uh, true so it is hard for doctors to receive feedback or you know articles or suggestions for thinking about things in a different way from from patients because it's part of their training right so what was the difference like what was the difference for me i i humility having gone through my own healing journey and not finding the answers from those experts Mm. and from this body of knowledge and wisdom that i you know i had trained in and it had no answers for me and so there, it was a, just a huge paradigm, you know, uh, collapse and sh- and then shift into a new way of thinking. And wow. so, you know, I was so I was grateful that they brought me that that information, which led to you know books and things that you know had eye opening, um, mind bending revelations for me that really helped lead me on my journey of discovering a new way to think about healing and about and, being a person. And for you as a medically trained doctor in the you know traditional medical system as we know it with the curriculum as it's designed, um, how was that to go through that worldview paradigm shifting change? Like, was it an existential, you know, um, you know, crisis sort of transition or was, you know, what was that like for you? Because you must have been having this experience of learning and discovering, questioning everything that you had already been taught, seeing it as well embedded within the context of what you had been taught, but then also still working in the medical system with your peers, who I'm sure if you were talking to them, I can just imagine the conversations, they would think like, Karen, I think you, you've gone off your rocker a little bit. I know. Yeah, I, I think there were times when I felt like I was in crisis. Like, who am I? What? I don't fit. I don't fit anymore. Um, and what do I really think? And what do I really believe? And it took time. It took time for me to um, absorb new bodies of knowledge and wisdom, and um, and gradually get comfortable with the idea that it's okay. In fact, it's not just okay. It's necessary that I question and I get curious and I, you know, look, you know, look outside the, the, the framework of um, those narratives, those, so, you know, socially dominant narratives and the, and the narratives of conventional medicine mm-hmm. and just really deeply explore um, w- what else is out there. And it's taken years for me to get really comfortable with that, that I, yeah, I'm different. I see, I think, see things in a different way. And even with my, even amongst my peers in what I consider to be more enlightened circles of healing and medicine, we have, we have differences. Mm -hmm. And I think that's, that's really about just evolving into a mature, more mature mind is just being able to, right, evaluate Mm -hmm. things with fresh eyes and, and 
you know, be okay with having our own mind and being willing to change, you know, not getting too fixed, even in our, in our newer ideas and what seem like more enlightened ideas is just being willing to not be fixed, to be able to have our eyes open anew every day to something, you know? As you're telling (laughs) that story, it's, I, you know, I just, I, you know, I saw it had this vision of you teaching this to other medical doctors, teaching this to medical students, especially because so many medical students go into, into the system, wanting to support people and help people. And then at the end, they're faced with people with exactly all the same symptoms that you were suffering from the chronic fatigue and the, you know, and the, um, you know, hormonal imbalances, which I'm sure so many people come to you with and, and, you know, and everything else and people not you know, the doctor's not having an answer, not having a solution. And then saying things like, well, it's all in your mind or saying things like, well, just try this or try this or try this right. or try this. And then pretty soon, right. like, you know, they've tried everything and exhausted every measure, measure and, the, and the patient's not good. Right. And the reason why I'm really curious about how you transitioned into where you are now is because I work with medical doctors who are retired and they will not come out of the closet, so to speak, of, you know, because even though they've discovered that food is medicine, they've discovered, you know, all of these other modalities, which can complement their existing knowledge, but they won't come out and say it because they are ridiculed by their peers and they're not even practicing anymore, but they don't want to jeopardize their reputation. Oh, and I understand that it's scary to stand apart especially amongst physicians. And I'm, mm-hmm. and I'm sure this is true for other, um, uh, you know, other social groups, but physicians are very, very uh, critical um, of anybody who thinks outside of the conventional wisdom. Um, and it's very, very painful thing to go through. Mm-hmm. Um, public criticism and humiliation and shame. Um, uh, so I, I understand that, but I think there are ways to come out that aren't combative, that are um, that are um, uh, smoother and more acceptable. And I have to say that over the uh, through my own um, evolution um, as a physician, um, I really haven't received any like overt criticism or um, abuse from uh, from other physicians they're actually over the years have been grateful that i've been willing to take on their more complicated patients who they really don't enjoy working with and don't have solutions for and they may think i'm weird and i have a i have an odd practice style and you know um but they send me their patients so we you know it's all good that's amazing (laughs) yeah that's amazing that's amazing (laughs) And, you know, and I love Brene Brown's work on shame and resiliency and, you know, and you, you are, I think, yeah, if, if Brene knew you and she might, but if she knew you, I'm sure she would say you are, you know, the epitome of who she's describing as, you know, the people who need to stand up and be leaders in their field and who have to face potential, even isolation to be able to just align with their values and their principles and keep moving forward with discovering those truths and then living those truths out, like as you do with your patients. So I want to know, so what is it like for a patient to work with you who has one of these illnesses um, or conditions, let's say, so we'll not even call it an illness because it's not, you know, 
term that within um, medical Uh terminology. So what happens when somebody comes with you and they have all of these underlying conditions that there's no potential solutions for from anybody else? Well, the first thing they get to do is tell their story which doesn't happen in conventional medicine mm-hmm. where they get where they can get to tell their entire story is what you get and I'm not I am not uh, uh, I'm not about bashing conventional medicine no because not at all. it is it's brilliant at what it does well right I if agree you've got an urgent illness you've got a critical illness you need emergency surgery I've had a retina tear last year they did a brilliant job um, that's where you want to go yeah. Okay. 100%. So it's just, I, but I do think we're barking up the wrong tree when they ask them to do something different. And, yeah. um, but, um, back to your question, which was what I got off on a tangent. What was your question? And so I'll, so I want to just rip off of what you just said too. Yes. And it, it is yes. so important what you just said, because of the fact that I think even for the patients, they think that if they go to somebody who, let's say, is a nutritionist or a medical doctor who also practices nutritional medicine, then they then even for, I know my clients, they think, well, I have to choose one or the other. And I want to let our audience know and our listeners know that it is not about that. It's about finding the solutions that work for you, Absolutely. right? And, and that it's exactly what you said. If you're in a car accident, you need a full medical team yes. all over your body working yes. to make sure everything is working. When my daughter was diagnosed with meningitis, I needed a medical team to try and diagnose yes. her because you know nobody wanted to even say it was meningitis because she had been vaccinated for meningitis. And so they're like, yes. well, it couldn't be that. Well, I needed a medical team. It wasn't going to be a nutritionist that was going to figure this out. Like we need a team. So it's so important for people to understand that it's not one or the other. It's about working right. through all of the information and then finding out what's right for you. So that's, I just wanted to say that. Now let's go back to the question Absolutely. I asked. Absolutely. Okay. So what does that look like? <laughs> what does that yes, look like right. to work with you? Like, so I want people to understand how, how, what that experience is like. So the first thing they get to do is tell their story and in, in its entirety and I I help them with that by giving them extensive questionnaires with lots of questions so that we can come at their story in a variety of different ways in ways they may not have thought of. So that by the time they're in the office with me, they they have this enhanced understanding of themselves and their story from, and the whole chronological history of their story from birth to the present time, because all the details are important. Um, and, uh, and then they get to sit there in the chair across from me and just, and tell this whole amazing story. And it's, they're amazing to me. Um, and it might take them a couple of hours to do that, you know? Mm. Um, and so we, in, in between the storytelling and my questions and, um, are coming up with an initial plan um, and some initial teaching, we might be together for three to four hours. And they also all see my functional nutritionist. So the food plan is a core part of what everybody gets as part of their um, healing process and um, kind of jump-starting um, what we're trying to do. So that, in a nutshell, that's that's what it is. And I would, and I'd also say that in the story, 
95% of the time, the answers are all there. So this isn't, uh, healing isn't rocket science. Mm. And a lot of the folks who come to me with chronic complex illness, they're chronic fatigue, chronic complex symptoms that have gone undiagnosed. Usually the answers are very apparent in that story. And this has been studied over the last couple of centuries, in fact, is how, how close can we get to an accurate diagnosis just using the components in a person's story? So th this is in the body of literature from conventional medicine as well, but there just isn't enough time in today's environment in the yeah. conventional medicine to get that whole story. So that's a, that's a huge that's a huge problem that you know I I'm trying to address. So um, yeah, 95% of the time we get most of our answers, and then over the course of time, as we um, put some uh, put some uh, new sort of lifestyle interventions into practice and do some testing, we're able to figure out the rest of it. So people who are willing to show up and really work hard can generally heal in very profound ways. Wow. But and this have is to be able to tell that story first. <laughs> well, and that's the number one difference, obviously, because, you know, with the average doctor being given about seven and a half to maybe maximum 15 minutes with a patient, I mean, they can't tell their health history in that time. You can't tell your story in that time. And I think this is so fitting because right now I'm actually reading a book called Narrative Medicine. Um, yeah. And yeah. I love this whole field. I mean, you can, you know, medical doctors and non-medical doctors can go and get trained in narrative medicine to understand how important the healing or the story is, is part of their healing journey. And, and I love what you said as well with the fact that you can tell what's happening you can get to that diagnosis and the and the plan for healing within what the patient is telling you and that's another part where i see you're fundamentally different because i read some studies that show that you know average doctors will diagnose a patient within 18 seconds of them walking into a room and usually it's based that's right yes and uh the the uh, the, av the average um the average amount of time that a patient gets to speak before they're interrupted is like 13 to 17 seconds Wow! before they're interrupted by the doctor. So, you know, so there, they, there are so many impediments to getting all the components to the story out there for their wow. physician to use. So that's a huge problem. And the way I see that what you do as well, how it could also be healing for the physician is that instead of seeing a patient five, 10, 15, 20 times over the course of a few years and then feeling exhausted, right? Because you're just not getting anywhere um, in these seven and a half to 15 minute appointments, you know, it's healing for the doctor as well to be able to sit and listen to these stories, Absolutely. which, right. Which then you get results afterwards, because like you said, yeah. the answers are right there. So you can choose to spend, you know, and have your practice be, you know, seven and a half minutes appointments, or you can consolidate everything and then really get the results that you're after, which has got to be so rewarding. It's very rewarding. I mean, I mean, I, when I think about how I felt about my work when I was in a traditional setting and having to do these short encounters and how stressful that was mm -hmm. um, and how 
just how bad I felt about myself as a physician and not being able to give people what they deserved and what they needed. And now, I mean, I just, I love my work. I adore my work. I feel like the luckiest person on the planet. That is amazing. I hope for any physicians <laughs> and health practitioners who are hearing this, please. And I think why this is so dear to my heart is that since I got into the work that I do with my clients, which, you know, predominantly I teach the, the food as medicine component, which right. involves the same setup that you have as well. It, yes. Our appointments are two and a half to four hours, whatever the patient needs to be able to, or the, my client needs to be able to go through their health history, mm -hmm. which does start mm -hmm. from you know, conception onwards, like tell us about mm -hmm. your birth, tell us about your, you know, your mom and dad's relationship, you know, tell us about, or if you didn't have a mom and dad, you know, and yes. you discover things like they were adopted or they were, you know, you, all sorts of things. And you discover, you know, I remember one um, client, you know, she had had seven abortions and she was a high functioning human, high profile human. And I think anybody, and nobody would have even thought to ask a question around that, like, tell us about this, you know, how many times were you pregnant? And this became part of her healing was to, to, to move through that. And, you know, yes. and without judgment and without shame. And then when she was able right. to, it's amazing how her healing took off, but you yes. can't do that in seven and a half minutes. No. And the stories that I've heard from people, it's, it's truly remarkable. And I'm sure you've heard the same, everything from the accountants that truly want to be painters and the biophysicists that truly want to be story, you know, um, uh, story writers and, and yes. so on. And so once you discover their true innate calling yes. as well in life, then that's also Absolutely. part of their healing. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Good for you. Well, it's, <laughs> you know, and it's, it only came through, I mean, I feel fortunate to be doing this work and to be, you know, called into this work, but what's been sad for me, and I, again, I come back to why this is so important, why I have these specific questions about how did you make that transition is I've met so many physicians who have showed me the slits on their wrist. They have shown me um, or told me their stories of wanting to take their own lives, starting with like the young medical student who's just about to graduate saying like, why did I get into this? Like yeah. it's over, but I have all, all this money and I yeah. get into healthcare because I wanted to care for people. And then they realize that they don't get to do that all the way up to the retired, you know, physician who wants to take his life for the right. same reasons because he feel like he wasted his entire life. Right. And yeah. it doesn't have yeah. to be that way for physicians. That's right. Right. That's heartbreaking. Yes. Yeah. I feel so fortunate to have had my own issues and then in some ways serendipitously was, ran into just the knowledge and the guidance and the mentorship that I needed at really critical times. And mm. I suppose I should give myself credit for paying attention. Yeah, right? 100%. <laughs> you do. And we, I think we forget that because we often say, well, it was life circumstances, you know, right. that, you know, gave me this. Whereas right. what I heard from you right in the very beginning is you chose to listen. Right. You chose to hear, you chose to explore, you chose to, you know, say, say yes, as opposed to just no, 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 I already know right. I've been trained. And so therefore right. I know everything. So I, I'm really, you have to, I mean, if I was there with you, I'd give you the biggest hug you know, <laughs> just to celebrate you because in you doing that, you bring so many gifts to the world and to all of these patients that come your way. So yes. Thank yeah, you. it is remarkable. Yeah. So 
let's dive into COVID because I do want to talk about that. Um, just okay. a little bit, and not so much about COVID, but about this concept of resiliency and what is it, you know, what is your opinion about all of this um, and, and, and really what do listeners need to know and understand and what are some takeaways for them right now during this, you know, unprecedented time in history? Absolutely. Um, so I think we have to first address, so the, the COVID pandemic is, is presumably about a virus. And I think we have to just briefly um, touch on um, what makes a virus virulent, what makes it a pandemic. And I think that we, we get a little bit lost by thinking that the virus itself is the enemy. Right. When in fact, the true enemy is the relationship that we have with that virus. Mm-hmm. So uh, the virus can only be virulent if it lands in a hospitable ho- a host, which is us, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, in what I call a hospitable terrain, which is our, which is our health and our ability to, um, be, um, to have an appropriate immune response. Um, and um, and stay healthy even in the face of a virus that may have a very um, you know a, a an enhanced ability to survive and thrive. So it's kind of like the virus wants to survive and thrive. We want to survive and thrive. So there's there's this relationship there um, that is incredibly important. And for us to survive and thrive, we need to have resilience, this whole concept of resilience. So we need to be strong. We need to be energetic. We need to be adaptable. We need to have a a powerful, um, appropriate immune response um, in the face of immunological challenges. Mm -hmm. Um, And and that's something as you and I were touching on before we, we started recording is that's something that really isn't being addressed at the national level by, by our, our, the leaders who are, are helping guide society through this pandemic um, are, is, the, is the, um, the value and the magnitude of those resilience factors in, in turning and shifting this uh, pandemic in a in a more positive direction. Um, and we get to that, we get, we get our resilience through how we take care of ourselves. Mm-hmm. It has to do with nutri- nutritious food and you know, getting good sleep and just taking care of ourselves in all the multitude of ways that we know how to do that makes us stronger and have more energy and, and, um, and the capacity to be adaptable in the face of challenge. Um, so that's really important, um, and and um, the other thing is is which I think is an important part of the equation is the resiliency of our planet. Mm-hmm. And so you know we know we know a lot about the effects of uh, pollution and pesticides and over consumerism and the carbon footprint and all these things that I think are making, uh, making us um, uh, less, less resilient just because of the toxicity and the stresses um, that those things um, create for us. Um, 
So these are, these are the big areas that I feel like we should all be screaming from the rooftops about, right? Yeah. That, are, that are just way more important than, um, in, the, in the long run than simply staying out of the, the path of the virus, social distancing, mm -hmm. which made sense initially, given our circumstances and the overwhelm in the hospitals and our care providers. We needed to do that. We needed to make that correction. Um, but it's not sustainable and it's not going to solve the problem. It is not going to be the reason the pandemic turns around because we have to come out, right? We got to come out eventually. And this isn't going to be the first virus to create this kind of habit. So we got to figure, we've got to figure this out. And I don't think it's rocket science. No, I, and I don't <laughs> as well. But so anytime I'm doing these interviews and I'm, you know, just really listening I always also take it in as though I'm hearing it for the first time, like truly, like when you said, for example, you know, good nutrition and proper sleep, and I'm, you know, seeing cur the current state of North American health, which is really an epidemic of chronic disease. And we know that this virus does not fare well in anybody who has any respiratory um, health issues, anybody who's nutrient deficient, anybody who has, you know, heart um, conditions. But we have yeah. right now, I mean, heart disease is, you know, the leading killer. Absolutely. So is cancer. And, you know, lung diseases are, you know, getting up there as well. And so mm -hmm. for the audience that, you know, hears that, like, what do you mean better sleep? I'm already sleeping 10 hours and I'm still exhausted. What do you mean like proper nutrition? Because I already eat well, like I eat the package of, you know, Doritos that says it has turmeric and it's made out of whole wheat or whatever. You know what I mean? Like, is there turmeric and Dor is Doritos making a... <laughs> I think they're about oh to God. if they haven't, you know, jumped on that bandwagon, you know, wow. but I've seen, but I've seen turmeric honey nut Cheerios, right. That are made from whole wheat with turmeric in them. And so, so for a lot of people, and I've seen this in documentaries where, you know, they've shown the mother who's got a 10 year old obese son who's diabetic. And so in, you know, the doctor says, well, he has to cut back his fat or he has to cut back his sugar. So instead of giving him the whole Costco bag of chips, she goes, well, you're only allowed to have half a bag because we're cutting back the calories. And so right now in the context of a world where I still think, you know, you and myself and, and, you know, maybe the handful of other, you know, health food, nutrition, medical nutrition doctors that are out there, like, how do you explain proper nutrition to a society that I believe is um, nutritionally illiterate. So really good that, I, and they have to be ready and willing to listen. I'm used to discussing these things with clients who are, you may not have an understanding of nutrition and um, the impact of good nutrition on their physiological and mental and psychological and spiritual functioning they they may not know that but they're ready to listen mm -hmm. so those are the people who show up at my door um and then it you know it, it's it's a huge paradigm shift for them um but to speak it so i so that that's where my work is 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 um talking about it with individuals and helping them make the changes and and work with them to um, 
create what is a huge change. Um, and change is difficult, um, even if you're primed and, and ready for it. Um, but it's also be just beginning to um, uh, teach the public about what food is mm -hmm. and how food is, you know, is its chemistry. And so is our, so are our, our bodies. And so there's a, a relationship, a communication that goes on between the food molecules that we ingest and, and who we are and how mm -hmm. our, our bodies function on a biological level. That's just, you know, and people don't realize that there's such a disconnect, right? Mm -hmm. People don't realize that what they put in their mouth becomes them. So explain. You know? So can you explain that? I know a lot of our listeners probably, you know, some of them already get that, but we get new listeners every day that are like, I had no idea. Like I didn't know that, right. you know, so can you explain how that food becomes you? Cause I love that reading that on your website, you know, that you are what you eat because it affects our genes and our DNA. But I mean, I still think that that is for a lot of people. Like, what does that right. mean? Yeah. yeah so, walk us through that. so I can't say it any more simply than what uh, anything you consume, whether you're eating it, whether you're breathing it in or touching it, it's going to become you. It's going to become a part of you because those are molecule, chemical molecules that are going to have a, um, a direct interaction with the molecules of your body and thus influence the function, the structure and function of your body. So food molecules are information, every single molecule. Um, and that information is gonna get inside and it's gonna talk directly to your genes and it's gonna turn genes on and off and it's gonna modify their expression. And that those modified genetic expressions are gonna to lead to changes in how the cells work and how they function, which ultimately leads to everything, you know, how you're able to make energy, how you're able to detoxify the toxic environment, mm -hmm. um, how you're able to think, how your brain is working, how your immune system works, how you're able to control inflammation. And so if, if the, those food molecules you're ingesting that are turning on and off your genes and becoming you are good and supportive and health promoting, that's great. You're going to, you know, you're going to, your, your structure and function is going to blossom. You're going to be moving in the right direction. But if they're not, you're just, you're, you're shutting everything down, right? So you're putting a huge roadblock on your potential, right? And your, your potential to recover from chronic disease, your potential to prevent chronic disease, your potential to feel as vibrant and energetic and robust and resilient as you can, as you can be. So, I mean, I get really excited. <laughs> I get very I get very excited when I'm talking about this to, to folks because they, I want them to get it. It's so profound and simple it and it's simple. It's really simple. I love that, um, that you say that because it truly is simple and truly in a sense that, you know, even if you talk about the money, if you talk about the time, I mean, you're really just substituting the money that you're spending on certain foods for just the kinds of foods that do fuel your body and give you energy and heal you and build that resilience and That's you know right. that resilience against potential viruses that are here now and that will be coming in the future. You're That's also right. substituting your time for 
cooking in the traditional way that you've been taught how and just switching that time and just changing the right. way you're preparing foods. Right. So it's not, right. right? So it's not um, like you need to go out and invest in a brand new anything. It's just really substituting your time and your right. money for other things. Right. Yeah. And there's a learning curve. Totally. You've got to learn, you have to learn new things. Um, and maybe the way you're eating and some of, some of your eating habits and some of the foods you choose to eat provide some sort of, you know, a solace, right. Or comfort or, you know, are, it are sort of numbing, you know, the, yeah. in a stressful, when there's a, when there's a lot of stress. And so we've got, we need to work with that, but we can work with that. We can work with all of that. Um, yeah. So I say it's really simple and it is, it is a very simple um, sort of idea and a simple equation. It's a little more complicated putting it into practice just yeah. because they're all kinds of issues that, um, that uh, influence our, our eating habits and our food choices, mm -hmm. you know, but we can yeah. do that. We're all wired for learning and evolving and, you know? Yeah, and when we have the support of somebody like yourself, for example, who can even, you know, pro help provide those resources, and you take the time to even show them how to do that, then that's really that's right. when we can see a shift on our planet, in our communities, with how yes. people, um, yeah, yes. make these transitions. There's another part about what you're saying that, and and it's also in the title of your book, where um, so your book is called Heal: A Nine Stage Roadmap to Recover Energy, Reverse Chronic Illness, and Claim the potential of a vibrant new you. So there's three parts about your title that I absolutely, well, actually four parts. I love that you have a roadmap. So the roadmap is perfect. And I want to dive into that. But the second part that I love is the recover energy, which I'm going to get to. I love the reversing chronic illness because you actually say we can reverse chronic illness, but let's just to go off of what we were just talking about with, you know, the what you eat fuels you, becomes you, but this, this concept of a vibrant new you. And I love this because, you know, what I hear you saying there is that we can create a brand new you, right? You might have, you might be in this, let's say a 59 year old body that you think, well, this is me because I was born this way. And this is just how, you know, my, my parents are overweight. My parents have heart disease. My parents died of, you know, whatever. So it's just inevitable. So can you explain the new you concept and what that well, means? To yes. People? And you just sort of cap, you encapsulated, I think, a cultural narrative that people, um, that, that people have in their minds that, um, that no longer stands up under the scrutiny of science. And that is this idea of genetic determinism, that our genes make us what we, and so we're destined to become what happened to our mothers and our fathers and our relatives. We know now that's not true. So there is this newer science called epigenetics that tells us that it's not the gene that determines the outcome of our health. It is the gene environment lifestyle relationship in fact, uh, the, in the, there are so many, there's so much potential to go in so many different directions that it's really the lifestyle environment part of the equation that's the most powerful. And the good news is that's within our control. A lot of that is within our control. So we absolutely can change our 
epigenetic expression through what we do. And we know a lot about what those things are. We know that even our thoughts change our genetic expression. Mm -hmm. So how we think, so being, a, 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 and we know that um, negative, um, uh, disempowering ways of thinking can increase inflammation and um, can shut down our ability to heal. And uh, uh, being calm, um, meditative, um, having positive thoughts about, um, you know, uh, let's say about stress or about what challenges us improves our physiology and the um, the outcome of how we um, how we face those stresses. So it's just there's so much. It's just there's so much we've learned that just upends that old old thinking about genetic determinism. We, we, our potential is infinite, really. I love that. And you just, as you were talking, you reminded me of a story of my mom's friend who, uh, my mom was a nurse's aide. And so she worked in retirement homes. And um, one of the women she worked with who I used to go visit all the time in at the uh, hospital where my mom worked. And, uh, you know, she was, you know, in her fifties and, you know, she was like a plump mom, like my mom's a plump mom. And then after they retired, my mom said one day, he said, oh, do you remember that woman that I worked with that you used to love? And I was like, oh yeah. And she said, check out this picture. So she must've been in her sixties at this point. And she was the leanest like championship bodybuilder I have ever like, oh, and like she awesome. in the sparkly bikinis and the high heel <laughs> stilettos, like, poke, you know, like just like posing oh. with the, you know, it was incredible. And I was like that. And did look nothing. I would never have recognized her if I walked past her in the street. But that is an example to me of like when you say a new you, like you have these infinite possibilities of what you can become. Yes. You want to become a bodybuilder or you want to become like we hear stories all the time of right. you know people who've retired who become iron, you know, people, right. iron trainer, iron man trainers, and and so on. And you know, so we do have that ability. We have that ability. And so we've got to, we've got to be able to tell our story of what we aspire to and not let any cultural narrative or input from a doctor discourage us from thinking that those things are possible. You know, a lot, I have so many clients who come in and they've had this, their diagnoses for years and their doctors have said, there's nothing that nothing more that can be done, you know? Yeah. Um, so and that's an important part about, you know, the subtitle of your book to reversing chronic illness, because right. I've had client after client who the first thing they do when I say, oh, hey, we can reverse this is they break down crying and they break down crying because they have believed what their previous doctors have told them that they have to live with this for the rest of their right. life, with the pain, the medications, yes. you know, like surgery after surgery. And then they're told all of a sudden that that's not true. And right. so- that's a huge part. So can you talk about that? Because with, you know, from your perspective and experience within medicine is, you know, were you taught that diseases could be reversed in your medical training? And no, what was that like no. to discover that? No, we, we were taught that we can treat diseases, right? And typically that the treatment, it was with medications, many, uh, most designed to suppress the symptoms of the disease and not really address underlying causes, which really isn't, it wasn't a part of the, um, 
the, the disease dysfunction inquiry that I was taught um, in, in medical school. So what we know now is with this um, idea of epigenetics and you know, changing uh, gene expression uh, through all the myriad ways that we know we can, including food. Food is so powerful. It's one of the like, most powerful tools that we have. Mm -hmm. um, we can shift up, we can shift people's entire biology. Uh, so, you know, metabolic syndrome, diabetes and hypertension and uh, inflammatory disorders just melt away, you know, and I know you've seen this and I see it all the time. Um, I, it's ordinary to me to see chronic illness completely reversed because of what people are able to do to change their change their genetic expression and physiology through self-care. And that's the part is that you're not just reversing their disease, but you are fundamentally helping these patients yeah. change their life because now the pain is gone, the shame of the disease is gone because a lot yes. of people do experience yes. that. And then they can go out there and reclaim their lives and truly be the humans, like any version of whatever human that they want to be. But when you are, you know, carrying the weight of a chronic disease around, I mean, it's hard to express yourself as you That's are supposed right. to. And Absolutely. so you're giving these people truly back their lives when you Absolutely. do this. Absolutely. A hundred percent. They give can their you, energy. They're, not only are they reversing the, the illness, but they they have a resurgence of that energy that drives everything, creative expression and connection and the ability to just move forward in life. And that's what people want. Um, they, wanna, they wanna reclaim themselves and their potential. That's what yeah. they, I th and I always ask people what their goals are in working with me when they first come. Right. That's the first thing I wanna hear from them. And they often say things like that. You know, they don't say, well, I want to, I want to reverse this, you know, my rheumatoid arthritis and not have pain anymore. Although they'll often say that as well. It's usually, I want my life back. Mm -hmm. I want to be myself. I want to live the purpose for which I was born. I literally hear that. Wow. It's incredible. Amazing. And then that yeah. brings us to, uh, to the other part of your subtitle, which is, you know, recovering energy. And this is a part where you know, I see this a lot is that people get their energy back and it's more energy than they've actually ever experienced in their entire life. And I'm sure your yes. patients experience it because the people are walking around again, clouded and burdened by this, you know, brain fog and chronic fatigue and, you know, migraines and headaches and this depression, which I think a lot of people have just come to accept, well, this is just what it means to be human. And then all of a sudden they change right. their diet, they change their lifestyle. So talk more about the energy part, because there's this concept of like an esoteric, you know, Zen energy that, you know, you get through meditation and yoga, but then it's what we're talking about is actually like power that we create in our body. So I want you to explain that to our audience, what energy yes. actually is. So energy, well, uh, energy is everything that we experience as human beings that has to do with, you know, I, I, I want to say just our life force. And it has a biological aspect, a biological component to it, which has to be in place for the rest. And um, when we when we take our care take care of ourselves in the way our unique bodies need us to, 
um, we are we actually unleash the ability of those subcellular mitochondria. Those are the little powerhouse subcellular. We call them organelles. They're called mitochondria. It's where chemical energy is made. We, if we are providing them with the nutrients they need to make energy, and we're eliminating the sort of the, the, the toxins and irritants that are preventing energy production, suddenly this, the, these mitochondria are working at the capacity they're supposed to. And people often do experience this profound, initially physical energy, but as soon as you've got the physical energy, you get the rest of it too. Mm -hmm. You know, you get this clearing of your thinking, the brain fog goes away, the, um, just this profound sense of being feeling alive and vibrant and curious now because curiosity is energy right mm -hmm. curious about the world around wanting and being able to connect with other human beings that's all about energy um uh sexual libido that's mm -hmm. energy most of my chronically ill people when they come they have no libido but that returns too because that's energy so all these wonderful things about being a human being alive come back or or people experience for the very first time you know yeah, which is you know so what i'm talking about i know what you're talking about <laughs> and you know and the thing is is that as you're saying this too i'm also thinking about myself during this time because you know our diet hasn't really changed because we have certain values and principles around our diet yes. and lifestyle so that hasn't changed but i have noticed my energy has gone down during this time because we have these additional stresses we had to close down all of our businesses you yes. know collectively lay off 85 staff um uh. you know and that's heartbreaking and so you know what when you talk about the story you know as i am thinking this and even saying it out loud now you know i was curious for the last like seven weeks like why is my energy so low like i'm working yeah. out i have energy to work out i have energy to do all these things but i also have this other story that's there around what's happening in the globe that's also you know causing my energy to lower and as i think about that and what you're just saying i'm like oh yeah my libido's been down as well for like the last seven yeah. weeks because yeah I have enough energy to, you know, homeschool my kids and to figure out our business and to make sure we're eating good food and to work out. But after that, I'm kind of like it done, you know? Right. And so it's this knowing that, um, the energy is, you know, it's, it's in waves, right? Like it's not always going to be high. It's That's not right. always going to be like, you could have an amazing diet, but right. how important is your story and what's happening in yourself and what's happening in the world and how that's affecting that's right. you as well. And that's so, right. but I love this yes. concept of energy. Um, so when you're, can you share a story of um, a particular, you know, case study that you've had that's probably typical of many of the case studies, just to give an idea to our listeners of what it means to have a patient come in who is, you know, just at their worst and, and the kind of transitions that they're able to make. Sure. Oh gosh, I have so many. Um, okay. So the, I, somebody I just talked to yesterday, um, five years undiagnosed, severe fatigue, um, vertigo, pain, diffuse body pain. Um, what else was going on with her? I mean, what wasn't going on with her? Yeah. Um, uh, and a, a sudden onset, like within 24 hours, this all came on. Um, she went to 
her family doctor was referred to other doctors, neurologists, um, et cetera. Um, nobody could figure it out. Nobody, yeah, nobody could figure it out. So um, she ended up working with, she worked with a physical therapist who was very empathic and helped her somewhat with the vertigo. Somehow she was eventually um, referred to me. And, I, and as I, I kind of laughed when she told me, uh, I know it was, her, uh, it was her physical therapist said something like, I know this doctor who, I don't can't I don't know what to tell you about what she does, but she t <laughs> she takes people like you. <laughs> oh my God, anyway, I love that. <laughs> she came to see me, and um, I listened to her story, which she had never been able to tell from start to finish. And it was pretty obvious to me that there was an infectious component to what was going on. And we ended up diagnosing Lyme disease and some mm -hmm. co-infections. Um, and she recovered 100% with an, a combination of antibiotic therapy mm -hmm. uh, also supported her. So we changed her nutrition and um, worked on her sleep and we worked on her mindset she had been so traumatized by these five years of being told yeah. there's nothing wrong, you know? Um, and at, the, at this point now, she has become this, she has had this incredible personal just evolution of who she is. She's, uh, grow, uh, she's, she's completely recovered from her illness. She has this beautiful, abundant energy um, she has this beautiful, uh, blossoming spirituality and just different, very positive way of, lo of looking at herself, looking at the world. It's just, it's such a beautiful thing to be a witness to, you know? Yeah. So that's, that's one amazing. story. And I think that's a great yeah. story, especially because right now I know that there's a lot of millennials that are self-diagnosing you know, themselves with Lyme disease, because all the symptoms are aligning mm -hmm. and matching up with that. Mm -hmm. And yet, mm -hmm. and some of them do actually have Lyme disease and mm -hmm. others mm -hmm. don't. But the problem that they're experiencing is exactly what you said. They go to the doctors over and over and over and over again, and nobody's able to tell them anything. And how debilitating right. is that? Yes. Like how much stress does that cause in a Absolutely. young person's body? And they're at that age group where they're, you know, wanting to have babies or have babies and they're taking care of young children. But meanwhile, they have all of these symptoms. And what do you make of that right now? Like with, and I know talking about Lyme disease is a whole, you know, conversation <laughs> in itself. Yes, it but, is. Yeah. But what you just, you know, as quickly well, and how yeah, would you make I, I think that the resilience piece is just as important in Lyme disease as it yes. is in COVID. And we don't always have to treat with antibiotics. I will if I need to. The right. patient I just told you about had neurological Lyme, very dysfunctional. We had to do something fast because yeah. it was very, very, very debilitating. Um, uh, but but for a lot a lot of folks, um, they we all we need to do is address their their resilience their right. their body we need to get their nutrition and sleep and all the you know all the various aspects of self-care in place and they often recover because 
you know, we, Lyme's been around for a long time and it's very ubiquitous. It's in all of our environments. And um, I, if we took a hundred people off the street and tested them for Lyme, a lot of people who are completely asymptomatic will test positive. Right. And it's not because the test is wrong. It's because we've all, many of us have been exposed. I walk in the woods every day. Yeah, me too. And I know that I, I'm sure that I've had deer tick bites that I just didn't see. And I've never been sick. Um, and I haven't tested myself either. Um, but um, it's just, there are, there are variations in um, resilience that we, I think we need to address um, and are really important to address, even if we do choose to use antibiotics to treat the Lyme. Right. So, and it is, it is underdiagnosed in, in conventional medicine. Yeah. I know that from my own experience here working with, with folks. Um, but I think there's some, um, I, I think there's some misunderstanding about what the uh, most appropriate way to deal with it is. And that gets into that whole resilience piece, which I think is, is key no matter what we're dealing with, with our clients. Yeah. I love that. That, that you, makes sense. Yeah. hundred percent. And I think for the listeners out there, I just want to repeat what Karen said here because of the fact that it doesn't matter what you think you have or what you've been told you have that you have to deal with the resilience. You have to deal with building your body back up one cell at a time. I mean, technically you do it, you know, billions of cells at right. a time, but <laughs> you know, that, you know, once you can do that, then you truly can overcome so many of these illnesses that we have been told, you know, we're just going to have to live with. And that is absolutely does not have to be the case for you, but coming at it from the, you know, one illness, one treatment. So whether it's Lyme's disease and antibiotics or, you know, diabetes and insulin, if that's the, the mode that you want to tackle it, from, then you're not going to get that true healing versus if you say, hey, let's just start with building up my whole entire body through all of these lifestyle changes that we can make. Right. So let's talk about your nine stage roadmap. And in this book, in your book, Heal, um, is it similar to your new ebook that's out, which is about the stories or are those two separate? No, ac actually the um, the healing story ebook goes into... Um, it, one section, one part of one of those nine domains of healing, the, okay. the roadmap that I talk about in the book, which is working with our 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 minds and uh, and harnessing the power of the story, and taking those stories that um, are disempowering to us and learning to look at them in a different way so that they're supportive and ennobling and you know and and help us. Um, and stories are, are how the mind works and our stories often keep us alive. They're how we impart knowledge and wisdom and how we learn. It's how the mind packages data and information, right? But we don't always, we don't have always, we rarely have all the facts. Mm -hmm. And so we have to be able to be a little bit flexible in the way we think about things. And we can really glom on to really um, uh, uh, stories that are really, make it very difficult for us to be all that we can be. Um, and so the ebook and the chapter in the book on stories dive into what I consider to be some of the most common disempowering stories, uh, at least within the um, 
realm of uh, healing um, that 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 I observe in my clients and 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 have in myself over the years as well. That we have to we we have to find a way to retell those stories mm-hmm. so that you know we're unleashed from that from um, their. Um, I guess disempowerment is is the word that I would would use. Can you like stories I, about our power? Yeah, like that's exactly. I wanted to, an example. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So stories. So these are some of the stories I I hear in my consultation room often. So stories about power. So going to the doctor, the conventional doctor, the expert who tells you there's nothing wrong, and you walk away and you believe that even though you know in your gut and your soul and your body, you know there is something wrong, Mm -hmm. but you buy that because they're the expert and you're not. Right. That, so what we have, we need to do is reclaim the notion that we are the expert on ourselves and that we have to be, and that we've been taught that, you know, we need to acquiesce to the expert, especially experts like, doctors, priests, <laughs> you <Yeah>. know, <laughs> um, yeah, so I, so I see that very often, um, also, uh, the story of our worth, so feeling worthy for self-care, that comes up in almost everyone who walks through here, um, people not prioritizing, um, their needs so that they can devote the time, attention, resources, money, etc., to take care of themselves yeah. because they're, you know, somebody else's needs are more important. The kids, the husband, the, you know, the, the friends uh, are, are more important. I see, I hear this in women, especially yeah. who are so great at being caretakers, which is a beautiful thing, but somehow we've, gotten this incorrect idea that their needs are all more important than our own so sleep goes food goes time goes you know what i mean yeah so have i have to we have to deal with that often as part of the the healing process because if you don't prioritize yourself nothing no matter how gorgeous your care plan is you're not going to be able to put any of it into practice you know, I, I mean, I'm listening and going, uh, that's me. And I'm just actually kind of laughing because I can hear all my staff listening to you say this right now. And they're laughing, being like, that's Nikki. So have you, have you, oh yeah. And I actually just started working out with a personal trainer. I actually had to hire a personal trainer, keep me accountable. And because I could easily just consult with clients and run our businesses and work, you know, and take care of my children and work all day. And the minute somebody calls and they're sick and they're like, Hey, can you book an appointment with me? I'll be like, yes, I'll drop everything. And, you know, because I want to help them, but that doesn't help me. It's like, I have not been wearing my oxygen mask for the last 16 years. And so it's been really showing up in my own health, despite having an amazing diet, despite having, you know, a profound positive outlook on life. When you still don't take care of yourself, that can bring down your health as well. So, right. And have you been victim of that being in a health, you know, being in healthcare? I mean, heck heck yeah. Heck. Yeah. I mean, sure. I'm, I'm as much a product of the 
culture as anybody else. And I still catch myself with those stories, but yeah. I've gotten, you know, I get, I'm a work in progress, but I'm, I've gotten better. And I've, yeah. I'm super, I have to be super militant about what I put on my own schedule in terms of self-care. Yeah. It, it goes off, you know, it, it, and I, and part of that militancy is that it helps me do it. It just helps it happen. You yeah. know, um, that's you know, what I, I found as well. Bedtime and a strict, I, every morning I get up and I, you know, I have my green tea and I go sit in my meditation chair and I've got my journal. I mean, so I just am really strict and um, I have to be because it's so easy to get distracted and uh, by other things and to put place other things in a higher priority position, especially yeah. when people need you and you know, it's hard, oh, especially with kids. Yeah. I'm better at this now that my kids are grown, but it mm. was such a struggle when they were little to not give myself, you know, enough time and uh, my own attention. Yeah. And I think you hit the nail in the head, but it really is scheduling. Like scheduling is so important because mm -hmm. without that, then you won't even think about what you need to do for yourself. And you know, a little right. story, my husband just recently, he's like, oh my God, I think we need to schedule sex. And for years <laughs> yeah. I've been, I've been telling him like, yes, if we don't schedule like date nights and if we don't schedule like time together, I promise you, you're not getting laid because I will go help yeah, my I clients know. and my children and my business and our financial needs will all come before that right especially if my yes. energy is low and i have no libido why would i even right right, right. So, so it just made me he laughed so hard when he was like you were right nikki scheduling is so important and it's made such a difference and so i we schedule what we care about right 100%. we schedule what's a value totally 100 percent. and so i think that that's a lesson that you know it's taken me th this long to learn but finally my husband's on board now too so it's good <laughs> So please, all you <laughs> listeners out there, get a calendar, write in it, schedule your workouts, your meditation, your journaling, your reading, your walks in nature, yes. everything. Absolutely. And even cooking and shopping for good food, like schedule that in because it's really Absolutely. important to make time for it. So what are the, some of the other um, stages in your nine stage roadmap? that you'd like to yeah, share. Yeah, so I so I start I so it's an it's nine stages and not everybody needs to work with all of them. It's fle it's a flexible roadmap. Mm -hmm. And what I'm trying to do with the book is just let let people see the lay of the land and then usually intuitively they're going to know exactly where to jump in. You know, they're going to just skip right to the chapter that is calling their name. But I start out with um a domain that I call let go and um the little subtitle for that, that is um let go to create space for healing let go of toxins irritants and negative energy mm -hmm. so that's like making room in your life for your healing practices it's letting go of the um habits and time sucks and soul sucks that you know that get in that are distractions social media rabbit holes you know the things that we do that are real time wasters um and it's also about 
um, environmental toxicity and food toxicity that can be roadblocks to opening up our metabolism so we can so things can run smoothly biologically. Mm-hmm. So I feel like that's a, that that's kind of a starting place because if we don't create that space and remove the roadblocks, we're gonna we may just stay stuck. Yeah. Yeah, that first letting go is so important. And I love that you've created an actual diagram of this, which is really beautiful. And it's, you know, so simply laid out that I really suggest everybody gets the book, buy Karen's book and print out this page, take a photocopy of it and stick it up on your wall in your bedroom, beside your computer to remind (laughs) you of this. It's just important because we need these reminders every day, right? I do. Yes, me too. Yes. Okay, also, so letting let go, go of toxic. And then there's love. Then the next section is on love with a special emphasis on self-love mm-hmm. because the self-love is, it's radical and it's what allows us to make ourselves a priority so that we can actually implement the self-care mm-hmm. that we need and that we're trying to, um, that we're trying to work on in our lives. Um, and then I have a, ch- a chapter that's called balance, find your strong center and become stress resilient. So it's just, it's about how we all have this strong center within that we may have lost. We may, maybe we've never really been introduced to it, but I, be- it's something I believe we all have inside this core of who we are and what we know, what we believe, our, um, intuition, our gut feelings, um, and it's also about the, um, the ability of our biology and our beings to be resilient in the face of stress, which as we've talked about before is a lot about all the different aspects of self-care that we tend to, but it's also about just how we were designed um, when everything is working optimally, we are really designed to face stress with robust energy and um and success Mm -hmm. and to and we're designed to get better at stress as we experience it to learn to know what to do next time to make things better um and and our whole biology is geared to be um stress stress resilient Mm -hmm. it's how we make energy in the face of challenge so i go into that in more detail and how to support that Mm -hmm. um because we tend to think where there's sort of this uh, narr- cultural narrative that stress is bad yeah, and, stre- and stress will kill us. Yeah. And chronic unrelenting stress that we don't have anything to do about is, is very harmful. We all know that. But really stress is designed, it's designed to get our attention. It's designed to teach us and it's designed to support us with the energy and resources we need to face our challenges. So I try to create that little twist on how we think about about stress. I love that. And the research too in stress now in neuroscience is actually showing that we can have the exact same stressful moment, but it's our perception of the stress yes. that can be either good for us or, or you know, cause harm. So the right now with everything that we're faced with, with COVID, we can choose to see it as terrible. And it's, you know, really, I hate the word pandemic that they're using because it just has all these negative connotations. I know, I versus, know, I agree. And a lot of us feel even guilty. And I know I've checked my words often when I've said, you know, I actually see this as a huge opportunity 
Yes. Right. It's a huge yes. opportunity for ourselves, for our communities, our planet, our governments, our financial system, literally everything. And some people are like, what? I just lost my parent. You know, they just died. But yes, that, that is a negative stress, but you can also change yeah. the perception of death as well. So, you know, people, the perception Absolutely. of death in itself can actually Absolutely. bring healing to you as opposed to adding more stress to your life. That's right. In yeah. fact, our, our mindset about stress, literally, as you said, same stress, two different mindsets, one looking at it as an opportunity, one looking at, at it as tragedy, totally different um, uh, changes in our physiology. Yeah. And, um, and when people with a negative stress mindset are the people who often die when they're stressed yeah. or they have heart attacks because the, the hormones and, the, um, and their physiology change in a negative way that doesn't support them yeah. versus the positive stress mindset and the, and the very positive changes in, in uh, their physiology to help support them mm -hmm. in the face of that stress. So it's, yeah, it's huge. That's amazing. So next. Uh, the next the next section is called restore. It's a it's about sleeping deeply, and we and we uh, I also touch on rest, what I call rest, pause, and play, and the and the um, importance of those. Um, I'm just going to move through these quickly, and yeah. for your audience' sake, and then you, if anything you want to ask about, you can. There's a section on movement. Um, not necessarily exercise, but just how we were designed to move and the profound um, effects of movement on our physiology um, and energy. Uh, there's this whole section on food um, and nutrition and e uh, eating to support energy production. Um, there's the whole section on the mind and stories that we talked about. Um, a, a, a section called flow, which is uh, discussing um, the emotions and emotional wisdom and how the emotions play into healing and how to uh, some strategies for working with them. And, um, and then a section that I call rise, which is really about learning to be present, which I refer to as both the path as well as the prize, because being present is an attribute that's really needed for living a conscious, awake life where we're able to take care of ourselves and, and live fully as human beings. Um, and my last section is on failure, the story really of mm -hmm. failure and how to think about it in a different way, to think about it as wisdom and direction rather than a character flaw, you know? That's the nine domains of healing. I love it. And I, you know, had the, I would had the pleasure of being able to dive into your book over the last um, couple weeks here. And for anybody who's listening, when you get Karen's book, don't think that you have to read it from start to end in sequential order. What you can do is literally go to the chapter that speaks to you the most. I highly recommend you go to the nourishment chapter, of course, because food is such a huge component of, you know, it's the foundation of your health. 
but so were the other eight pillars here. But I mean, I jumped right into flow because that was, I number one, I love that word, but also I'm in a place right now where I'm like, yeah, like, how do I trust my voice? How do I trust right. my knowledge that I've gained? Who am I in light of other experts out there, you know, as I'm doing my PhD? Is a PhD even more valuable than, you know, something else? You know, for example, my grandmother's, um, you know, wisdom and knowledge that she gained without ever having learned to read and write and being born right. in Africa and you yes. know, growing her own food. So I'm questioning all of these things. So as I read your book, I just jumped to the chapters that resonated with me in the moments of what I was feeling Good. and what it's what I love so much about your book. So I think this is, you know, one of the best books that I have read that has such a comprehensive um, system. I love that it's nine pillars and not just five pillars or three pillars, because really we're talking about a lifestyle change. So we have to look at the entire picture of the human body in context of our world, in context of our mind, in context of, you know, um, our past our present and our future. And that's what your book really um, beautifully ties up everything in a nice, gorgeous bow. And it's oh, also, thank you. <laughs> and it also, it's, you know, even though it's tied up in a nice bow, when people go to unwrap it, I think then that's when they'll start to unravel in a beautiful way to re be able to rebuild themselves in this whole new way that you talk about. And so it's, I think it's just, it's one of, it's a brilliant book and I highly oh, recommend it. Thank you so it. much. Thank you. And, and the way you uh, recommend using it is exactly what I envisioned for people too, because people, people know what they need right and they don't need all they don't need everything they're already really good at at some aspects of this so um trust your trust your inner wisdom yeah definitely definitely yeah. um i want to go back to um just with the going back with our old stories and here i you know it says how our old stories slam the brakes on our healing and how we can start to rewrite them. And then one of the second points that, you know, in your book, it's like, how do we heal by addressing root causes, creating resilience, resolving unmet needs. Now, when we talk about this, and I've seen this in a lot of the books on trauma, I've seen this in, you know, Gabo Mate, um, he writes a lot about this, but when our conscious mind is really only responsible for, you know, 5%, let's say of our actions and so much of all of our stories are unconscious. How do you resolve the discrepancy between those for people? Because so many of the stories that we tell ourselves are not necessarily even true. And so right. how do you work with patients when they come to you and they say, well, this is the root cause of everything. And, and, and what's that look like when sometimes, you know, you might recognize, well, I don't know, is that the root cause or is it right. something else that maybe we can't even tap into yet right and it's always a process of discovery and so we can start with that and i and i really lo love to honor my clients uh by starting where they're at mm -hmm. and what they perceive to be those root causes of their illness um and it, and i think it can be very helpful then to um then see where the roadblocks are well what's what's working or what's what's not working um you know we've devised this beautiful food plan um we're addressing the um your unmet nutritional needs we're um 
reinvigorating your metabolism and your energy with this food plan, but you can't stick with it. Okay, so what's going on there? What, what's going on that you're not able to sustain this food plan? Well, you know, I'm stress eating, you know, oh, I, I was going along, I was doing just fine. And then such and such happened. And I just, you know, I, I, I had the pizza and the, the, you know, the whatever, the, the dessert, and then I just couldn't get back. Okay, so th- we need to look at that and look at what happened there. Um, and it's not that they necessarily did anything wrong by turning to the food that gives them that immediate sense of comfort, but why couldn't you get back? Where did you get stuck? So then, so then it's about us exploring together, right? Mm -hmm. What happened and, um, what do you need? What do we need to address that roadblock? And so I think that um, often we have to um, we have to implement the strategies that that we decide make sense, and then work with the um, the roadblocks as they present themselves. And you know what I mean. Um, so I think that's is was that your question? Did I answer your question? Yeah, it actually did. Or maybe <laughs> I'm just going to interpret it in the way that I want to interpret it. But no, what I love about it, and again, this is what differentiates the work that you do, I think, from a lot of the other work that I see, you know, some other people, and all work is good, right? Like we can pull what we need from all, sure. you know, all of these different writers and authors and practitioners and, and coaches. Um, but what I love about this is that, you know, the example that you just gave, it's even though we're uncovering our old stories and our old patterns and our old habits, you're also looking at what's happening in the moment. And let's just talk about what's happening in the moment, as opposed to necessarily hanging on to a story. Because I know a lot of my clients will come to me and they say, well, so-and-so said that if I was abused, then that is the reason for my whatever. And what I've come to find is that actually it's the story they're telling themselves about their story, which is actually... Um, you know, causing almost more stress. And then, and actually it's just about recognizing, well, what does happen in the moment when you reach for the chocolate bar, when you reach for the pizza and, you know, did you want comfort? What could you have gotten comfort in another way through a hug? Or did you want to just call your mom who you haven't talked to? Or did you, you know, and then once they recognize that there's other tools available to get comfort or love or security or fun or excitement or whatever the emotion is, then it puts them more in an empowering place to recognize the next time when they're in that that situation, there is another tool available beyond the pizza. And sometimes there are uncomfortable emotions that arise um, that are not okay, that we or we, we've been, we've been, we've taken on a story that certain emotions aren't okay for us to feel. Yeah. We're not, it's not okay for us to be angry, you know, at so-and-so, or it's not okay for us to feel afraid, um, or to feel jealous, or to feel any of that, what we refer to as the negative emotions. Um, yeah. And, 
And so I think sometimes we, we want to put a bottle on those. We want to stick those in a bottle. We want to put those, stick the, put those away and not embrace those as our own. Mm -hmm. um, and, and that can often be a roadblock to healing because we do use, we use food very often to assuage our feelings about ourselves, yeah. you know, shame or, or, or as you were talking about past trauma. Mm -hmm. um, it, because once we allow ourselves to feel, then we have to take responsibility for those feelings and what to, what, what to do about them. Yeah. You know, um, it, it's hard. It can yeah. be hard. It's a journey. Yeah. It's a journey. It's a and journey. it's so nice that it's to know that people can have you walking alongside them and supporting them through that journey. Because I think we all do, like you mentioned very early on in the podcast that, you know, you had mentors who helped get you to this place and we all need mentors. We all need, yes. um, you know, to be an apprentice to someone who has more experience than we do and who has, you know, walked ahead of us. And so I think that that is, you know, the world needs more of that. And I can see that that is the role that you play with your medical degree and your white coat is that, you know, you're out there supporting people as a mentor, as a role model as well. Um, and also with these tools and giving them the tool, these nine tools and many others that they can use to, um, support them through their healing journey, which is, um, we need more people like you. I want to clone you right now. <laughs> It's just one of you in every city. And, so And you too. And you too. There oh. are a lot of folks. There are a lot of, there's a growing number of people who get the, who get that this expanded model of healing that we're talking about. Mm -hmm. And they're in, you know, they're physicians and nutritionists and health coaches and, and there it's growing. It's really great to see. Um, so there are resources available for everybody in just about every city. And a lot of folks are doing, um, you know, uh, they're doing virtual consults as well. So is that what you've been doing to walk that? Oh, I've been, yeah, it's been all virtual since the middle of March. Yeah. And, um, and then I have, I, I have a lot of people who travel to see me. So we'll, I do, you know, I, I'd like them to come uh, for their first visit and see me in person, yeah. but then we do it, we do it virtually for follow-up visits. That. Yeah. That is amazing. Mm -hmm. That is amazing. So to wrap up here, what is, you know, if you can have any dream, any wish, any, um, you know, anything for anyone right now, what is it that you want people to really leave with knowing, um, as we wrap up this podcast? First of all, how can they get in contact with you and how do they work with you? Let's start with that and then we'll dive into your they wish. They can visit my website, karenshanksmd.com. It's Karen with a Y, K-A-R-Y-N, karenshanksmd.com. And there's uh, yeah, information about my practice there. Um, there are eBooks available and lots of articles. Um, so yeah, that's the best way to, to get to know what I'm about and um, how to work with me. My wish, oh gosh, do I have to narrow it down to one? No, you can do as many as you want. It's my podcast. We can talk for seven hours if we want. 
I wish people, I, oh, okay, so I, I could, we could talk about many things, but I, I, what I really would wish for people right now is to sort of let go of their fear and just trust what they know in their hearts. I, I want people to, to reconnect to what they know, you know, and when they hear things that don't sound right, to trust that inner instinct and that inner guidance and get curious and explore it. And I think, I, I think you know that I'm, what I'm referring to right now is that people in their fear are really glomming onto some simplistic ideas about where we are meant to go next. And, and nobody's talking about resilience at the top. And so um, I want people to I don't want to say not trust the, you know, the, the, the dominant narratives that they're hearing, but um, just question, be curious, ask questions um, and listen to your, listen to your inner guidance. There there's there, it's there. Yeah, that is, um, you know what I mean? Oh, I know what you mean. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and that is a, you know, I think it's, I think one of the greatest wishes that we could have for, you know, really everybody on the planet is where we can feel so connected to ourselves and so connected to our environment that we can actually trust, you know, our innate knowledge because we are yes. part of nature. And um, yes. once we can listen to that, like a tree listens for the seasons and knows what it needs to do to protect itself against the winter and protect itself against the sun and the drought right. that's coming, right? That we as humans, we have the ability, the innate ability to um, also be in rhythm and in sync with all of that, which means that we can also be in rhythm and sync with our own intuition around what's happening globally right yes, now around this pandemic. Absolutely. And there are going to be a lot of things coming down the pipeline that are going to really test our our strength and our resolve and yes. our innate understanding of who we are as biological, you know, species yes. on this planet. And Absolutely. Yeah, and I think that collectively we do have to get there because I think with, you know, we have governments that are making decisions for what is best for us. Meanwhile, yes. if we don't yeah. address um, dress what we actually innately know to be true, then, you know, a lot of people will suffer at the recommendations right. coming and happening. So, right. Yeah, it's the, it's, the, the recommendations and the lack of recommendations exactly. that imbalance. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And starting right. with your book is a really great way to strengthen that gut heart brain instinct you know, and it's because once you do turn to food and you see the power of food to generate that energy in your body, the power of the food to heal you and to create that resilience, coupled with the letting go, the love, the balance, the restoration, the movement, discovering flow and rising up, you know, once you do that, then you will strengthen your ability to truly trust yourself I and you'll be able to, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's a beautiful wish Absolutely. that you have for the world. <laughs> that is, and it, you know, and, and it's going to take um, a tribe and a village to help support I people know. as they journey through this, right? And exactly. so, yeah, reach out to other people who are also on the same path of healing, you know, that you've laid out in your book and that we've talked about today as well. So, surround yourself with those people, and yep. 
yeah, I see that we can rise up collectively as a nation, um, as a planet, as a species, and you know, and, and as individuals. Absolutely. As well. And and the other thing that comes to mind is just softening. Because I think when we're afraid, we get we we get fixed in our thinking, we get um, we get dogmatic about what's right and what's wrong and who's doing the right thing and who's not doing the right thing. And I think we just need to, you know, we just need to soften that and realize that everybody's doing their best, you yeah. know, and there are going to be differences in, in opinion yeah. um, about what it is that we need to do. Uh, but just soften that and soften yourself and just, and do whatever is, is that you require, give yourself permission in your life to just, uh, to, to let some things go, to relax and to just trust, mm. you know? Yeah. And as you said that, I took the and, biggest, deepest breath and let I know. it go. It's like, yes. Yeah. <laughs> that is a beautiful way to wrap this up. If those are the only two things that people get out of this, you know, whole entire show today, then let that be it. Because I think those two, you know, wishes that you have for people are, are enough to really support people moving forward in the healthiest of ways. So I want to thank you so much, Karen, for being on our show. It has been a pleasure having you. I want to have you back again because there's so many I, more I pieces. I want to come back. Amazing. Yeah. Lots to I've discuss. Yeah, I'd love to come back. Okay. So <laughs> yeah. I'm wishing you all the best in your journey, um, just on your own and with your patients as well and with your family. And um, yeah, I look forward to the next time we're together. Have the most amazing of days. Thank you. You too. Okay. So how did you enjoy that show? Did you fall in love with Karen like I did? Are you in just awe of the beauty of this woman and the knowledge that she has and the conviction that she has to live by her values, her principles, her um, knowledge. I love how she ended the show with saying that, you know, we need to trust our knowledge, trust our gut, trust our instincts, especially around everything that is going to be unfolding as a result of COVID. It's so important that we tap into that now more than ever. I love the the knowledge that she shared, the tip that we just need to, you know, stop, slow down. Um, and it's so important. I think a lot of us, even though we've been home for seven, eight weeks now, not a lot of us, I think, have actually slowed down. In fact, I think that people have ramped up things, whether it's, you know, dreaming and studying and learning and making TikTok videos and, you know, trying to reimagine the world ahead, you know, and what that's going to look like, that new normal, what will that be like? But, you know, have you really taken the time to just pause, to slow down, to really think about your narrative, to think about your story, your past, think about it in the context of your present day life and think about it really in a very slow, methodical, self-compassionate and loving way, you know, what your future could look like moving forward. So you know what to do, folks. Share this show with your friends, with your loved ones. Let them know that it exists because 
there are gold nuggets that come out of every interview that I do with our guests, our healing hero stories, our medical doctors and other healthcare practitioners out there. And those gold nuggets can actually save someone's life. They really, really can. Just a little bit of information can go a long way. And, you know, with Karen's nine steps to turning your health around, getting more energy, reversing chronic disease, even just one of those steps shared with somebody else, if they actually slow down, take the time to learn about it in detail, and then go and implement what Karen is saying is enough to change your life and make it better. And who wouldn't want that for your loved one, for your neighbor, for your friend, for an old colleague or somebody that you're working with now? Um, you have the power through simply just sharing information to change someone's life. So thanks everyone for being here with me. Stay healthy and well. And as certain communities around the world start to open up right now, um, just remember that just because the world is opening up, slowly doesn't mean that you need to jump in quickly to do it. If you are enjoying your your self-isolation and social distancing, you know, complete the projects that you've started. Don't think that you just need to jump into, you know, what the world is doing. I've already heard of, you know, people planning concerts and big get-togethers and and all of that, but you actually can stop and really think about how you want to move forward in your life. You know, if friends start to ask you for dinner, you can actually stop and say, do I want to have dinner with these people? Actually, are these people the friends that I want to be sharing my precious, amazing time with? Maybe you've met friends online during COVID that you've connected with. And maybe you don't want to jump into your old routine, old habits, you know, old dinner dates, old, um, you know, anything, events that you've been attending. And maybe you just want to create a whole new life for yourself based on what you've learned by stopping and slowing down during COVID. So yes, if you are opening up and stepping out and you're going to be gathering in small groups. Um, like our government in British Columbia is saying that we can, groups of two to six. Choose those two to six people really wisely because every time you, you know, choose to exchange a moment of your life, your time with somebody, it is an energy exchange. And so really have that energy exchange leaving you in a positive, fulfilled way. And you are also leaving the people that you are with in a positive and fulfilled way, as opposed to having your cup drained. And you know what I'm talking about. We all have people in our world, in our life, in our families, amongst our friends that tend to drain our cups and don't tend to fill them up. So as you re-expose yourself or expose yourself to the world just think about what relationships you want to engage in as you move forward and that is the tip that i leave you with today stay tuned and join us next week for another episode of the eat real to heal show it has been a pleasure serving you with knowledge and information go out there and do the same for others bye for now